Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Beginning with the 11th verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he is saying, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property and loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine rose in the country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pots that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hard servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet a distance from his father, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked, What did this meant? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who had devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Lord, help us to understand what Jesus was trying to tell us in this story about a place of happiness in our life. And as Jesus was talking and telling the story, he said, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, what's wrong with that? Not too long ago, I was having breakfast with a man that in the restaurant where we were eating, he had some country ham, pretty good. And he was enjoying it tremendously. And he says something like this. He said, this ham is so delicious. And I love ham so well that I'm afraid that I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And someone is going to put it on a list of sins that people should not be involved in, and I won't be able to eat ham anymore. And then there was that person who said, well, I feel so good today that I cannot enjoy it because I know tomorrow I'm not going to feel this good. And then there's a young lady that bought her a new car, and she was proud of it, and rightly and justly so. And she says, 
I just cannot appreciate and enjoy this car like I ought to because I'm afraid something's going to happen to it. I know a man that has everything in this world to be happy over and to feel good about, uh, but he's always on the verge of having ulcers and he's already had one heart attack. And the great problem with him is that he cannot enjoy what God has given to him. It seems to me that we have forgotten how to be happy, or we never have learned how to be happy. Or we think that it is right sinful for us to go around being happy. You've heard these people say that uh, how can one be happy when there's such suffering going on in the world? Or how can I enjoy eating so sumptuously like I do when I know that there are people who are starving to death in the world? Now that sounds right religious, doesn't it? But you see, that same type of thinking that was used by Judas at the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was being anointed for the crucifixion. And he said, why couldn't this costly bottle of ointment have been sold in order that the poor may have been fed? And it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ said on another occasion that the poor you always have with you. We are at this place uh, seemingly uh, that uh, joy is just not a part of our life. And perhaps the reason why that we're not uh, happy is a combination of the three. That's all rolled up in one thing that we recognize for the most part and called guilt. And so we today go around with a great weight of guilt about our neck that weights us down. And even those who have something to rejoice about are not able to do it. From which comes this text. But I want to talk to you about this morning. And it's not a matter of us being right religious because we go around with a long face and not able to see anything to laugh about or to, to even to joke about. I do not see how anyone can live properly and be the person that they would ought to be in the kingdom of God without a sense of humor. Jesus Christ was telling stories again and again about people who were happy and people who were having parties. And this story that we have under consideration this morning, if we could block out some of the other things within the story that are important, but we know about them so well, we never realize or seldom ever get around to seeing that Jesus was talking about rejoicing. He was also talking about eating and having a banquet and having something fantastic within one's life uh, that they could really rejoice over and be happy about. Beloved, if you're not convinced that God wants you to be happy and the Lord Jesus Christ insists on you uh, rejoicing, you consider with me this morning what God has deliberately done in creating you. Look at this thing from another point of view. God gave to us five senses. I wonder why he gave them to us. Did he just give them to us by chance or an afterthought? Did it come to us simply to separate us maybe from the animal kingdom? Or did he have something fantastic in mind in relation to the highest creation that he has in his kingdom? And beloved, you can pick which one you want, but I believe that God intended for us to have some dimension within our life that none other thing in all creation can have like we have. And he did this deliberately. He did it in order that you might be able to have life. And as Jesus says in the scripture that I was going to read to you in the book of John, the 10th chapter, and somewhere between 7 
The verse in the 19th verse, he said, For this cause I came in order that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now that a word abundantly could just as well be translated fulfilled or happy. Life. Consider what God has done, deliberately so. He gave to you the marvelous ability or sense to be able to taste. Now, if you've ever noticed a dog, when they eat, they gobble their food. If you note the birds of the air, you know that they swallow their food whole without chewing, and they have a built-in system within their body that's able to grind up what they eat. I've always thought that maybe the old cow maybe had it over us. In the summertime, she goes out and fills herself in the early mornings with grass and finds a nice shady place because she has two stomachs and is able to enjoy what she's gathered in a second time. Ability to be able to detect flavor. Have you ever thought about it? Now, we had a beautiful service here at Christmas Eve, and it's a thing that I look forward to every year. I do look forward to the service here in the sanctuary, but also with equal delight look forward to the service that is held to, in the fellowship hall after the service. Because of cookies like you wouldn't believe are there. I think they had three tables or four tables and I made them all. And uh, the thing that delighted me so much was the someone in this group is, is a capable, well all of you are capable, there wasn't a bad cookie there, but someone bakes a sugar cookie. And that's a delightful cookie because it rolls back the years for me. And when I taste that cookie, it reminds me of years that are gone by. And of a mother that I barely knew. It's such a delightful cookie. And so I made all the tables and I searched out those cookies. The only thing that if you know who you are, please make the cookie bigger next year because it's so tiny I can hardly hold on to it. <laughs> but what a delightful experience to be able to taste something and, and that even the taste of it rolls back to you and you remember days gone by. That's just one thing that taste can do for you. Oh, when we think about celebrating, we, we think of a banquet or of a meal. Well, why not? What's wrong with it? God didn't see anything wrong with it. Or he wouldn't equip you so, so beautifully. What would be wrong at this moment with a, a hot cup of coffee? What one of you men have knocked in and out fishing? Sit around the fire, especially if you stayed all night and had a steaming cup of coffee, even in the summertime when it was hot. It's even good at that time. We eat in such a way, though, if you listen to the TV commercials, you think that we use our stomach as a disposal. Probably do. They talk about the Rolaids and the Tums and, and all these other things that we need because we do not treat our stomach right. Maybe the thing that we ought to do is declare a weekly kind to your stomach and treat it to perhaps a delicious ripe pineapple with all of its sugary juices or maybe to a tangy lemon pie that's even hot out of the oven. A taste that God has given to man the ability to be able to detect flavors and bring some measure of meaning into his life. And then the sense of smell. 
Now, because we're programmed the way we are, we usually think of smell as being something bad. But there's more beautiful smells than there are bad, as I'm led to believe. And if you're not careful because you're programmed in such a way, why are we always programmed in such a negative way? The other day I was telling a man that was lost here, coming through our community and wanted to find Old Shepherdsville Road. So I told him, you go straight through the stoplight. <laughs> and then I thought about that a while after he left, and I said, that's the dumbest thing, that uh, instructions be given to a man. Why not say, go straight through the green light, or the gold light, through the stoplight? But you see, I would guess if you're the average person like the rest of us, that you're geared the same way, and you've been programmed the same way. If you try to tell a person the direction, you'll tell them to go down to the stoplight and turn. Well, why don't you tell them to go down to the gold light and turn? That's the way we are when it comes to smell. We seldom stop long enough to think about it, to let it be a, really a part of our lives. Smell the clean air. I don't know where you'd go unless you'd go to Canada and be able to find it, but somewhere you might find it. Or to be able to smell the rain in the springtime. Or lilacs. Or honeysuckle early in the morning. Or even hot asphalt as they paved our parking lot here some weeks ago our newly cut grass smell baked bread I want to make a distinction in the difference between smelling and sniffing now God gave this to us I am convinced without any doubt in my mind none to add another dimension to your life that he didn't give to any other created thing upon the face of this earth you are unique and this ability too. An ability to be able to touch. We, we seem to be so a generation so out of touch. We are walled in seemingly be concrete and asphalt and brick and, and stone and this type of thing. And yet there's a quality of life that cannot be had without touch. I was visiting in a friend's home the other day and he made one of these glorified footstools about three foot of square. He had not covered it yet. He just had the framework, the woodwork that was beautiful. I wondered why he was going to cover it but he was going to cover it with something. And his uh, father is, uh, is quite a carpenter. He was invited over for dinner too. And when he came in, and we were in there sitting down, and this uh, glorified footstool was out there, whatever they call it, and, and he was sitting there beside me, and he wasn't there over five minutes before he reached over and let his hand run across the wood. His son said, well, we had a bet, the wife and I, uh, that you wouldn't be here over ten minutes before you had to feel that wood to make sure that I'd put it together properly. But I knew something that probably his son had not caught, that this man loves to touch wood. He loves to touch plastic, velvet, a furry kitten, a child's hair, hand of a mother that uh, makes a home, the hand of a laboring person, touch a tree, snow. How can we live unless we get some concepts of texture within our life? The things that surround us and are part of us. We don't stop to think about it. But we ought to. Again was given to us deliberately by a living, loving God in order that we might be identified and identify those things that are around us. To be able to see, 
and yet we do not see. Dr. Short, one of our great, great preachers, uh, many of you older ones uh, remember Dr. Short, who passed away a year or so ago. Know that he carried a magnifying glass around in his pocket, and in the summertime, he loved Camp Lucon so very, very much, and was one who was instrumental in bringing that uh, camp about. And when he would be in those places, he would uh, look at the flowers and the leaves of nature through this magnifying glass. He loved it so. See the light in the face of a child, the sun on the snow, or frost, or to see a red bird. And you can come by the parsonage now and you'd be surprised to see that my yard looks as good as my neighbor's. It's only a few times during the year, especially when it snows, but it does today. To be able to see. God gave you this marvelous ability to be able to see and see in depth and in color. Isn't that wonderful? And we thought that uh, this color was only brought about by TV, but God had that long ago, built it into man with his ability to be able to see. And then this marvelous ability to be able to hear. Now I do not understand young people be able to listen to music, whether they tell me about 140 decimals, and that is sound that nearly puts your eardrums out completely and totally, so you can't hear anything else. But to be able to hear, to hear the wind as it pulls at the shutter and rattles the house. To hear the voice of a loved one that you haven't heard for a while. To hear the roll of thunder or the chirp of a cricket. To hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. You are my son. You are loved. What if God gave to our senses and built into us a potent and you would only be able to hear so much and then no more. You'd be able to see and then no more. And if you were not careful, you would not be able to see all day, maybe to 12 o'clock. You have to use it carefully. But he has created us in such a way that these eyes cannot be filled completely and totally. And these ears of ours can continue to hear. And we can hear even those things that are said to be the sixth sense of what no one else can hear. The drum beat that we hear, that we walk to, that is peculiar and unique to the heart of the individual. Beloved, if God has gone to such pains to ensure a quality life for me, if he has gone to such pains to make sure that I have everything that I need in order to be happy and to rejoice, then mark me not as the older son that refused to go in and to rejoice and to be happy when his father had given to him everything. I don't want to be identified with him, but how many of us are? How many of us, by the way that we act and by what we do, line up more perfectly with the older brother and the older son than we do with the younger one? He has given to us all of this, and yet we refuse to be happy. If I must be identified with someone, let it be with the younger son who came to his senses and came home 
Beloved, listen to what Jesus is saying. If you would mark out even the senses that I have called to your attention that God deliberately gave to you, the fact to know that you are home this morning, and I mean by that that you are with the Father, that you have made your commitment, you are in his kingdom, you are part of his world, is enough to rejoice. But then to know that there's a fatted calf to be killed, and clothes to wear, and tell us that makes it possible, and a beautiful mind to direct you, and the use of all that God has given to you, beloved, it seems to me that we of all people upon the face of this earth, and especially those of us who are of this country, have everything in this world to rejoice and to be happy about. It seems to me that it would even be a front to God for us to be otherwise. Let us understand that not only does God call for it, but he commands us to. Let us rejoice. What's wrong with being happy? Well, beloved, it's just as religious and even probably more so to be happy than it is to be otherwise. Think about it. Our Father God in heaven, if there be one here this morning that should have heard, may they have heard what was said this morning and take action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.